At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Big, big show today. A pair of CEO interviews. I teased them yesterday. We'll be joined at 8.35 by Andy Marsh. He is the president and CEO of Plug Power. The ticker is PLUG on that. And then at 9, we'll be joined by Andy Hayward. He is the chairman and CEO of Genius Brands, ticker GNUS on that. So a pair of CEO interviews today talking alternative energy and talking uh, kids cartoons, which I'm sure Dennis will get a kick out of that. So uh, uh, between those, we've got a bunch of other stuff. We'll talk about the continued rally in Chinese stocks, uh, rally in Walmart yesterday, and uh, take questions from our chat when we uh, have time. So before I throw it to Joel, I want to remind you all, hit that like button. It helps us out with that mysterious YouTube algorithm. Now, Joel, give us a quick update here on what's happening in the overnight trading session. Uh, good morning, traders and investors. And I'll say investors around the world because I'm getting Twitter followers from the UK, Germany, England, Australia, Japan, and uh that other small country that we defend all the time, uh, Canada. So thank you to all of our international listeners. I don't know what time zone you're in, but thanks for tuning in so early. Uh, we're trading up six and a half handles here at 31.43 even. Nice overnight range. Pre-market high, uh, 31.52. That's just above your daily pivot. So there's your target on the upside. Took out uh, the low from yesterday, 33 and a half. Thought we were going lower, but uh, turned around at 25 and a half. Just hanging out mid-range is uh, right at the right at the close as well. Uh, crude up 11 cents at 40.73, 41.63 is high of the move. Don't look at gold now. Over 1,800, up $4.20 at 1,814.10. Silver knocking on the door of 19, up 11.6 cents at 1,881 and a half. Bitcoin doesn't want to be left out. That's 110, up 110 dollars at 9,400. And I'm gonna bring in Triple D here. Triple D, I'm really fired up today. Guess what I did at 6 a.m. this morning? Swim. Yep. 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 How was the swim? Oh, man. The sun's coming up. You With work. the layoff, obviously, you know, when we were in lockdown in Michigan, did it take a little bit back? Like, you're an avid swimmer. You swim regularly, but not swimming regularly for a little while there. Did it take you a while to get back oh, in the groove? I, I, I'm not back. You're not back not in the back. groove. Nope. Nope. Too dead. No. I mean, as far I mean, I could get in there and swim all day long, but as far as, like, raw speed, 
and you know, now nah, it's gonna take a take, while. Yeah, yeah. But the reason uh, I ask, and obviously, you know, you're a swimmer, but we've got a lot of sports that are gonna be coming back eventually. It's gonna take some of these players, like you think, if we do eventually get the NBA playoffs, and if it's gonna be at Disney, we do get the NHL playoffs. If we do get football, I mean, football is a different story, but, but you know, you got to think, and obviously these, these athletes are doing some training, but, you know, with, with the restrictions for a while there, you wonder if some of these athletes don't take a while to, to get back to where they were. One guy talked about injuries and stuff, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of guys are opting out. Do you see all these guys that are opting out of the playoffs and not playing baseball? And there's stuff? a few baseball players. There's a few. There's a yeah. few. It's not a lot, but there's a few. And that's a concern, too. I mean, if you're one of your star players all of a sudden opts out, who is there some big, is there any big names that have been said? Yeah, a, a few. Uh, David Price is perhaps the biggest name. He's yeah. Award. He's not playing in the baseball. Uh, uh, Getting older, though. Um, uh, Mike Trout, who is the best player in the world, said he might not play. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Dennis. You might not know, but he's the Connor McDavid of. No, I know Mike Trout. Okay, I I, I do watch Major League Baseball. I, I'm, I'm a Tiger checking. fan. So. I'm just checking. Okay, <laughs> I know Mike Trout. <laughs> you know what? I know you get mad at me when I say I'm not going to a Michigan football game again, and I will eventually. But I, I think this whole thing, sports will get back. It's going to take years and years and years and years and years. Yes, just from a from I, I know a you keep saying that. We've had this argument before, and I think you're dead wrong. So we'll just leave it at that. I think sports are going to come back. They will come back, ever. but they're not going to come I back. I am in- so hungry. I've said this before. I am so hungry. You're so wrong on this. You're so wrong on this. But I am so hungry for sports, Joel, that I would watch anything right now. Um Obviously, you know, we're getting some NASCAR back. We're getting, but you know, of the big four, like I will watch basketball. I never watch basketball. I'm just not a basketball fan. NBA playoffs start tomorrow. I will watch it because I'm just been without sports for so long. Like the big four sports, it's, it's tough. So I think obviously the teams are going to be, the revenues are going to be lost from the stadiums. We don't know when they're going to get back to normal in that perspective. But I think from a pure viewership perspective, I think people are hungry to watch sports. What's the uh, that stock that uh, Raz talked about a while, and uh, I think he was on the short side originally, Aramark. What's they're the one yeah. that uh, give you those crappy hot dogs and stuff for six bucks. What's their uh, yeah? Yeah. What's they the symbol on that? A R M K. How's that stock doing? It's been leaking. It's a real. There's your sports play. indicator right there. It's the reopening play, but that's not a sports indicator. That's a stadium indicator. True. So the stadium is a big difference. And, you know, we, you know, we should say like there's a big difference between saying sports are just never going to come back and attendance at sports. Attendance at sports is going to be difficult with the social distancing. I don't know how it's going to work. Are they going to pump 100,000 people into the big house? Nope. How's that going to work? You sit on top of each other. It's going to be a lot different. So from that perspective, from and I wouldn't want to own a sports team right now. No way. Like Mark Cuban, I wouldn't want to own a sports team right now because – we, we don't know how that's going to work. I mean, you know, the New York Yankees, Toronto Maple Leafs, the hockey, have, the television rights are just huge. They make a lot that's of money true. from that. But it's the smaller franchises, some of them that have been struggling and losing money for years, that you wonder how they survive through this if the attendance has to get cut in half. Like, eventually you will get fans of the games again. But what's that going to look like? So maybe in two, three years, maybe it's all back to normal, but... I don't think it's going back to normal next year. Now, I think the viewership of the games, I think people are going to be tuning in even more than ever and watching these on TV because they obviously can't go to the games. 
Um, but from, from, from a stadium perspective, anything that's, you know, selling stuff in a stadium, it's going to be tough for a long time. Restaurants, hotels, airlines. Yeah, all that. And, and, and that's priced into the stocks. We've been talking about the failure of the reopening trade. It has not worked well. You've seen this complete separation in the markets where the NASDAQ just keeps leading the charge and is holding up the indices. And on the underlying you know, reopening stocks like American Airlines, new lows on the move. New low, I, thought the 12, I thought the 12 might hold. It's not holding. Wells Fargo. New low was on the move yesterday. I thought the 25 might hold. It's not holding. If you're in these things, now it's taking out support. So they want to go lower. Boeing, looks like it's starting to consolidate, but it could be consolidating and break down, especially considering what the other airlines have done here. So it's very tricky to, you know, or it's very, like the people have been saying, oh, the stock market just goes up. Everything just goes up. All stocks go up. It's not the case. It's been tech holding us up. And tech stocks have just ripped to the tune of like valuations don't even make sense on some of these companies anymore. But the reopening stocks, we have two markets here. We have a 1999 market in tech and certain tech stocks where valuations are just out through the roof. And then you have like 2008, 2009, where we got bankruptcies coming in certain sectors, the reopening stocks. And some stocks are priced like they're going bankrupt and they might be. So it's two markets, a tale of two markets right now. Definitely stock selection is key, or at least sector selection. But, you know, tech is crowded. So that, that's the other question. You know, do you pile into tech stocks now? I mean, that trade has been going on for two months. So it's tough to just start piling in them now. All right. Wow. What a, a different opening there. Spencer, are you, are you still there with us? Yeah, I thought we were going to start off talking about China, and then we kind of got. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, that's I, a tangent of tangents. That was a nine-minute tangent there. I'm wow. not really sure. That's oh, not what, my record. I'm not really sure what just happened. You guys see that taking Alibaba at like seven fifty-eight? Was that just a fat finger, or maybe just a busted trade? I don't really know, but I see a ridiculous. What um, happened? Tra- I, I see just a one one tick in Alibaba. Down to two thirty-five at like. That's probably two thirty-six fifty-one. It's probably a late close. Was it two thirty-six fifty-one? Yeah, I see two thirty-five ninety-two on. You, my... you see these late prints. So Explain these are stash. prints. So an off exchange, you know, off exchange trading, which is like almost forty percent of the market now. <laughs> Most of you know, if you got the you know the off exchange market makers you retail, those report to the tape instantly. But there is still you know, crosses that happen. You know, at the close. Okay at other uh, other times where they don't get those prints to the tape immediately. So that could just been a late report from yesterday. It could have been a correction on a price from yesterday. Okay. Okay. It could be anything. The stuff has to get reported to the tape. Um, even errors get corrected back. So when you see these outsized tick, it doesn't mean it just traded there. Yeah. What it means is it's probably a report from yesterday. Now, yeah. you know, all of a sudden the stock tanks and it's got offered down there, then you know that trade's real. But when you see these prints on FINRA, trade reporting facility, on your consolidated tape outside the market, those are in the pre-market and after hours especially, those are typically late reports from yesterday. Got so it. it didn't tick Got down it. there. Bob has been up 10 bucks all morning. Let it's still see. 10 bucks. Let me Fitting see. Couldn't have it down there. What, uh, let me see. That trade, I'm trying to, wow, there's so many trades going on in this thing. What was the price? Uh, I On my thinkorswim, I see 235.92. Okay. Yeah. What time I'm, was the trade? I'll look it up. Right I'm now. looking it up too. Yeah, what, what time? What exact you... time? I literally, I, I'm on a. I see it at 8, 8 a.m. Is when I see it. 
8 yeah, eight a.m. You get late reports all the oh, time. Oh wow! Yeah. All the time, late late reports at eight a.m. They they come in at eight a.m. All right. So that's definitely just late report. I'm going to the tape right now. Yeah. At it. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the screen here for a second, Spencer, and uh, boom. See if I can do this right. The way it's I probably did one it. trade that was reported late. I, there's so many trades, like you said. I know. To scroll through I know. them all here too. I need can like you guys see this? Can you guys see this? Yeah. yeah. Can you can you blow up your? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But now we're seeing it scroll live. Blow up the font. Yeah, it's too hard to go back. But here, so just Dennis, real quickly, what would? There's a form T. I still see some form T's coming through right here. Is that no, what you? Were... Yeah, I mean, you're looking at exchange though. So form T is. Oh some, yeah. That's a condition. Yep. I don't know what that means. That's something to trade station. So you're looking at the different exchanges. Let me explain some of this stuff. So sure. the exchange is what you're looking at. So EdgeX, there's like 13 stock exchanges. Edge A, Boston's BX, NASDAQ. Um, now, now they're all owned by basically three different, <laughs> the three majors, NASDAQ. And then ARCA, you're looking at ARCX is ARCA. But again, it's different codes depending on your platform. Like when I look at ARCA, I see ARCA, which it actually is. Obviously, TradeStation's calling ARCA ARCX. So it's, it's the stuff going through. But I don't even know. I don't see any FINRA trades going by on your tape there, Joel. No, there's not. Is there's not. Happening, I... FINRA? You got to add those because I don't know why TradeStation would not be showing those. But that's big information that's not on the tape. Because I tell you right now, I'm looking at Bob on this FINRA going by. So those are your off-exchange trades is FINRA. So ask your broker you know, about the off-exchange trades if you want to see them. I mean, most of the time they're outside yeah. the market. Sometimes they're inside the market if it's, if it's market making from off-exchange market makers. But... You know, trades happen everywhere. FINRA is made up of dark pools, off exchange market makers, big institutional orders, you know, crosses from like inst or from from like LiquidNet, who obviously we've had Seth Marin on the show before. So there's a lot going on when you're looking at the FINRA tape. And a lot of that, you know, is 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 hap well, all of it is happening off exchange and then getting reported to the exchange. So but you know, we've argued for a long time it'd be nice to break up the FINRA a little bit and see you know, when it's happening on in a certain dark pool that we would see the actual dark pool. Right now, we just see anything off exchange, dark pools included, just as FINRA, blanketed as FINRA. So there's not a lot of even post-trade transparency on those trades. So it'd be nice to see a, a little more clarity there. Well, speaking of just uh, complications in the US market, things are getting more complicated specifically for Chinese companies because they're now IPOing in Hong Kong as well. And we should talk about that because uh, Alibaba actually denied this report, but Reuters reported that Alibaba's um, fintech arm, Ant Financial, was going to IPO uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, the journal had a pretty good breakdown today of all these Chinese companies that have IPO'd in Hong Kong in the past uh, few months or weeks. Alibaba did it. Uh, JD.com did it. NetEase did it. So all these companies are IPOing now in, in Hong Kong, creating another pool of liquidity. And I guess that's, create, that's accounting for a, a greater and greater uh, proportion. How does that of, make the, how does it make it up nine sticks? How does that happen? I, I, it's accounting for more and more of the trading volume. I'll tell you that at least in Alibaba. So I don't know. A lot I, of games played over on China. I, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, obviously we know there's, there's different, I'm, I'm trying not different to rules is what you meant to say. But there's different rules over there. And government has involvement with the trading on their stocks. And we know the government supports their markets. They have the plunge protection team. They call it the national team over there. Um, we, we, Are we, we much know, different? 
are we, we know much different? that they they hardcore support their markets. So maybe they're saying, hey, Baba, you know, we're going to get these listed over here where they're going to get support over there from the government themselves where they physically go in and buy stocks. So, you know, that that's maybe what they're saying is, you know, they're getting the support of the government when they get listed on these exchanges over there. But they're manipulated higher. They really are. It's it's, a, it's a, the stocks over there. It's a different. It's a different different real set. Different. Real hey, set. I have a buddy that I'm not going to name him, but he thinks in five to ten years, there's the paper's going to come out, you know, about the markets during these times and the market manipulation by the Fed in the open markets in the futures. Well, they're already in stocks. I mean, is that apparent? But he thinks that's what you're going to – in the history books, when they write up this time period, that's what they're going to talk you about. You think the Fed's already out there secretly buying stocks? They're buying futures because futures dictate where stocks go. That's why they're called futures. But they can't – on their mandate, they can't do that legally, can they? That has never been – to buy equity futures. They're buying bonds. And they're buying bonds in individual companies now. But I've never seen that they're allowed to go and buy S&P futures. Okay, I mean, well, we've, what speculated, if they... we've speculated overnight that there appears to be mystery buyers that continue to prop up the markets. That's not to say that could be even you know foreign buyers propping up the markets. It could be anything. But I, I, if the Fed is out there buying S&P futures, I'd have an issue with it because they've never said in their mandate that they're doing that. So you know that, that's, that, that's terrible. If that's the case, I do not believe that's the case because um, I don't think that they would do it just secretly but if that is or maybe you talk to five or six big banks or hedge funds about well that that can happen yeah i mean but you know if it's government taxpayer dollars being used to buy s&p futures i'd have a problem with that i'd pay more taxes if they were doing that no (laughs) well i I don't think that's happening i don't I, i think it's a better chance that it's major hedge funds who want the market higher you know, it could be foreign investors. Hal, it okay. could be Chinese investors too over there. I mean, we know they come into the markets and they, they can. It, it's, it's, it's transparent that they actually come in and buy, obviously, stocks in their own markets, but they can buy stocks in probably foreign markets as well. So there can definitely be governments pushing this market higher. I would say the Fed, uh, to my understanding, cannot buy S&P futures. That's my understanding. Okay. All right. Well, I stand corrected then. Well, I will well, have to wait well, for the no, history books. I don't know books. if you stand corrected. I'm, I'm not saying it, it isn't happening, but I'm saying if it's happening, that's not supposed to be happening. As le- le- at least that's my understanding. Isn't that your well, understanding, would it, Spencer? Would the government doing something that's the not Fed's, supposed to happen happen? Would that surprise you? The, the Fed's never said they're they're buying equity futures, have they, Spencer? No, no, they have not. Never. So I, I got to assume they're not doing stuff like that behind the scenes. It's already aggressive enough. You think about the money printing. You think about, you know, they're coming into the bond market now. And now they can buy bonds and individual stocks, like ETFs. individual companies. Bonds, they're buying ETFs, right? So Yeah, that seems all, you know, that's already manipulative enough to prop up the markets. I don't think they need to come into the S&P futures and buy as well. It's already doing its job. So we know indirectly that they've supported the market for, for a decade. I mean, you know, in the financial crisis, if the government, when it came to the rescue with the bailout packages for all the banks, the financial markets were not going to bounce back. We were imploding and we were failing. All of the banks were likely to fail back in 2008. We lost a bunch. They had obviously come in and, you know, and props to Bernanke for uh, actually getting us through that because it was going to be ugly if we had a bunch of bank failures. The economy would have bounced back. 
you know, if we would have had, and, you know, people like Peter Schiff have argued it should have happened. And, you know, we would build back ourselves back stronger, but it didn't. And what we did was we printed our way out of it with, with money and we kicked the can down the road and we're going to continue to kick the can down the road. And now we're to the tune of what's the U S deficit, 26 trillion. What is it now? Uh, you just go can't even keep track of it. 25, yeah. $26 trillion. Uh, let me go. I mean, there's no way to pay that back. So interest rates are going to have to stay low forever just to service the interest on that debt. If they don't go negative rates and there's no way that's ever getting paid back. There's, how? Yeah. I mean, first you got to stop digging the hole. So uh, I don't know if the next the... president comes in, the next government comes in, the next administration comes in. But, uh, you know, at the rate that they're going, they just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. I don't think there's any way out. But right. wait, I just I just had a brilliant idea. If rates go negative, then Do they get paid on that. <laughs> no, we can start reducing the deficit. Rates go negative. You pay us now. So for all this debt, debt over we'll here. I mean, that's the way they're doing it in Europe. That's the way they're doing it there. You want to hold cash in your account, you're going to pay. We're holding your cash. We're, we're keeping your cash safe. This is the spin on it. This is what the spin's going to be on negative interest rates is we're keeping your cash safe. So you want to give us and you want to have cash with us? Well, you're going to pay for that because we're guarding your cash for you. That's going to be the spin. I don't know. Are we going to go negative rates? I tell you, if the markets implode, probably. The markets stay up, probably not. But... You know, they've said they wouldn't go negative, but don't kid yourself. If the S&P futures started to implode again to the tune of what we were looking like in March, everything will come back on the table. According to the U.S. debt clock, the uh, U.S. national debt is 20, about $26.5 trillion and uh, rising, obviously. Uh, U.S. Um, federal budget deficit is $2.8 trillion. Uh, so there you go. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So. Let's, I mean, we're, stocks, we're never getting out. Let's of go it. stocks. Everyone's going to get mad at us. Yeah, we, it's not, we're not an economic show. We're not economic. Sports show, economic be. show. We yeah. cover it all. All right. We do have not a well. Not the sports and the economy. We don't have that whipped. <laughs> we, we have the individual deal. stocks we do okay on. <laughs> There's a deal to, uh, uh, that went through last night that we should talk about. What? Another M&A deal. What do you got? Talk In the me. insurance space, Allstate is buying National General for thirty-four fifty a share in cash. ALL to buy yeah. uh, what's the ticker there? NGHC. NGHC. Yeah. Thirty-four fifty cash deal. Arb's got her at thirty-three eighty, so priced in a little two and a half percent discount on that. Um, so NGHC, that's the story there. All state they are hitting it on this. So sometimes oh. cash deals they don't hit them as much, but this stock was wanting to be hit. I mean, just from the charts, it looked like it wanted to be hit. It kind of hanging on a cliff. Now it takes down. I'd be careful. You do have that low 89.51 from May 14th, but coming in on a bottom, on an insurance play. They broke I mean, out these of stocks the were not yeah. in favor coming into this. So now they're paying a premium for another one. Uh, I don't want to own Allstate. Yeah, we could, if you're like a true Allstate bull, uh, great commercials. But you had a low, what did uh, 75, you got to what? The Geico commercials are way better. 75, 108, so it's like a 33-point move, half of that, 16. Huh, that bring, uh, You're down below the 50%. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it had its run, pulled back, maybe get a couple lows in the same area. I mean, how much do we talk insurance stocks? I mean, I, I, we never talk about insurance stocks. Uh, we don't even give their earnings. 
what is there? Allstate? I, I thought uh, CB got taken over. Oh, that's a ton. Over. It's a huge industry. I know we it is. Unless while, there's but... a hurricane. We don't talk about insurance. And the reinsurance stocks are the plays and the hurricanes on the short side. So because those are the ones. So the way it works is insurance companies on and then they send it out to the reinsurers who reinsure it and take on the risk directly. So there's a, you know, in the hurricane season, there's like reinsurance group. RGA is one. There used to be a ton of them. There's been some mergers in the sector. RE is another one. Everest Re. But, you know, the straight up insurers. Yeah. Travelers, AIG, Allstate. There, there's not, a few. There's it's a whole sector. Do you remember who used to? None love of these have been performing great. Now, do you know who used to uh, really love to trade the reinsurers? Big. Who's that? The bright office. Who's that? Remember? No. Conrad. He was a reinsurer play. Yeah. I used to trade them a lot too. I mean, trading these things against each other. This is classic pair trading. So there used to be a group of seven, and they've consolidated. Like I said, there's been mergers in the industry, but it used to be like ENH. Is ENH still there? A&H is gone. AHL was another one. It's gone. There's been a lot of consolidation in the industry. What was that There was one like seven get... or eight. And it was like clockwork. You get one tank and they all move together. They were really nice to pair. So that's probably why Conrad was trading them a lot too because their relationships were very strong. So What was obviously... the one you got out of by the hair, your chitty chin chin, and uh, during the, last, the Houston hurricane? AHL. Oh, yeah, it's off the board now. Yeah, yeah it's off the board. And I, I think it got picked up eventually, but that was the last hurricane. That, some of those, and some of those hurricanes, and some of those reinsurers, some of them fell like 25, 30% on some of those big hurricane plays. And then the they weather was really okay. get smacked yeah. around when there's a natural disaster. Yep. Okay, so. Spencer, we're going to bring you in here. Speaking Let's of, talk stocks. Well, speaking of hurricanes uh, and insurance plays, uh, hurricane season is pretty much started. Uh, we always we haven't have, had anything big yet, though. Nothing big, no. But it's we're gonna theoretically. I mean, it's the hurricane season when inevitable. It? It's July to October, right? November. It's like the late summer, fall. So, Generac. We always look at that. That that's the pure long play for hurricane season. GNRC and the stock has been an unbelievable performer even without hurricanes in the it last has. six months. So usually this is always like it really goes up during hurricane season, and then it kind of just meanders and doesn't do a heck of a lot after that but gnrc has been on a tear even before hurricane season so it could kick it kick it off i mean you get a big you get you know, it's 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 simple trading but you get now you know a hurricane a big one's going to be coming gnrc will go up for three or four days prior to that usually so we talk about those the hurricane trades and you see home depot and lows off and catch bids you know some of the, the, there's the shingle producers you know anything to do with home construction um, not not the home builders, but you know anything to do with fix up your home, like Home Depot, Lowe's, Direct Plays. Um, those typically show strength in the hurricanes as well. But there's about a dozen stocks that you know. Once we get a big hurricane, we'll get you a list. Dennis, you got lists for every different scenario: hurricanes. Well, that's what it's all about. I mean, there that's really go. what trading is all about. Is I'm trying to predict where the money flow is going to go to. So you see hurricane, you're like, money flow is likely going to flow into G GNRC for a few days. So, I mean, we talk about catalysts. That's a classic catalyst. There we go. That's all we talk about. That's, that's what the market is all about. I mean, that's what, you know, people, and again, like I said, a lot of people like to just use technicals and that's it. I, I don't just use technicals. I think technicals are a good indicator on, oh, has a stock been strong? Has a stock been weak? Is it trending up? Is it trending down? That's good. But I think there's so much more, so many more tools. And I think the better tools 
are using some logic. I mean, Jason Rasnick, you know, obviously listening to the show right now on the Xbox trade, wasn't looking at a chart on that. He was looking at logic and saying, hey, I'm seeing in the news flow that they've hired, you know, a doctor that, you know, and, and they could potentially do these tests. And you know what? He, his thesis proved out to be correct. It's like classic detective work. And that's what this is. Trading is a little bit of detective work. Where is the money flow likely to go? What's the next catalyst going to be? I mean, that was how, why, you know, I made some money on the short side back in February because I thought the virus was going to spread. And obviously, you know, we were a little early on that trade you know, when we were short the airlines and buying puts on all the airlines. But, um, you know, we still did well in it because we predicted that this virus was likely to spread. And so that's just using a little bit of detective work. And, th and that's what the market is all about, uh, to, in my perspective, is figuring out where the next flow is going to go. I mean, you can trade something technically, and there's some great technical trades out there. But I think the better trades are using some logic. Speaking of detectives, we're going to have the uh, person that uh, created Inspector Gadget on the show. Oh, what a segue. I can't oh, I get my boy to listen to this one. What a uh, segue. That's an did you like that one, Spencer? Da -da -da -da. Gonna steal some picnic baskets. Who's that? Everyone's got to know. So yeah, Okay, we're done with Inspector. So Andy Hayward is going to be on our show at nine. He's the CEO. That's awesome. Genius Brands. Any any cartoon, any kids cartoon you've seen in the last thirty years, he's probably had his hands in. I'll just read you a few: Scooby Doo, Yogi Bear, The Smurfs, Scooby Doo, Inspector Gadget, G.I. Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, this, yeah, basically every. And this guy's going to be on our show in 30 minutes. Half hour, right. That's exciting. That's pretty cool. Uh, in, in five minutes, though, or six minutes, we'll be joined by uh, our first guest, Andy Marsh from uh, Plug Power. Sports. Let's cover some stocks. How about Walmart? <laughs> How about Walmart? Cool. That is, talk about a catalyst. Holy moly. Let's talk. Walmart well, news, I'm well, sure everyone knows it by now. It's just, it's the news. So give us the news from yesterday, Spencer, that blasted the sleepy stock into orbit. Walmart has their answer to Amazon Prime. Uh, don't Walmart Plus with, I made the same joke yesterday, but don't confuse Walmart Plus with Disney Plus or Apple TV Plus or any, any other plus out there. This is, this is their plus. But yeah, this is their version of Amazon Prime, 98 bucks a year, same-day delivery, all those, all those perks. I mean, the, the move, the big moves happened. It happened, obviously, yesterday. It kept running after this. I don't know if anybody anticipated that it would keep running. Um, it's up here again. I mean, now you get to the second point. You're starting <laughs> to get in the upper 130s where you've run into trouble here before. It's a big move. It's basically getting the last two months of losses because Walmart has just been quietly, you know, going down back in a day and a half. So hard to chase it here now. Uh, but the stock's back in favor. So if you're a momentum trader, I mean, I'm not surprised the momentum continues here. You can see these things continue for a couple of days. Is it a game changer for, for Walmart? Are they all of a sudden going to be bigger and better than Amazon? No. Amazon, you know, just because they come out with this, Amazon will come out with faster delivery. I mean, it's just the delivery wars here to a certain extent. Uh, you think FedEx uh, it had a pretty good day yesterday. You think it benefits from this? FedEx ships a lot of Walmart. Man, oh man, what a segue that's, on that's that one. That's interesting. It's not a segue. It's totally related. <laughs> oh, that, no, I know, I know. But I was looking at the Walmart chart, and uh, I was just thinking about the Walmart chart here. And, and I mean, if you really do your diligence and you do your homework, 
they that earnings that was an earnings fade of earnings fade right and they just got it way up in the pre-market they crushed it you thought you had a bottom it rallied and it came back down and you had four or five lows in the same area sign of institutional accumulation thanks uh gil morales and boom then the news uh i don't know i mean yet pre-market high is 129.28 where are we trading at 128.40 so the fact that we're back the buck off there I don't know. It might be tough to get there. Of course, the big candle that you want to see or the big level that you want to see is 131.99. But I just don't think you could go from 118 to 132 uh, without a break, you know, without, you know, some kind of pullback or some kind of consolidation. Uh, but uh, nice move. And the fact that it's a buck off its pre-market high makes me think, I mean, it's probably still be up on the session. I just don't see it blowing to 131.99 today. But but Dennis's logic about FedEx like that's that's a nice that's like not an outrageous logic. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, I'm long FedEx. Full disclosure. You've been long on a technical basis. The little double bottom from yesterday, and now I I think yesterday's move in FedEx was totally off Walmart. You know, people were looking maybe. I I think that's totally off Walmart. UPS didn't participate as much, uh, but FedEx. We know FedEx has been getting some love since that earnings report too, which was somewhat predictable. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm kicking myself because I actually had the idea that I want to go long. I, I'm long FedEx. I have in the long-term account, but I want to go long in the trading account too, into the earnings. So I just felt like, you know, how many packages are getting delivered to my house and get delivered everywhere. I know business deliveries are down, but the residential more than made up for it. Everybody's getting everything delivered. I, I like FedEx. I think, I, I just don't think deliveries are going away. Is Amazon going to eventually deliver their, all of their stuff themselves? Possibly, but that's not coming tomorrow. So I don't mind FedEx and UPS. I will say, I will if, say you, if, if you hold hold this low here the, from yesterday, 153.66, after that, you get in the gap area. Uh, but I see that. I mean, the gap and go. The, Dennis, this is a swing trade. This is not a long-term portfolio trade, right? FedEx? No, I'm long. Long-term. Uh, Long-term. Long-term okay. account. I've had FedEx for like a year and a half. It's, I've been everywhere with this. I know. I yeah. bought it like 150, went to 200, down to 90, back I, to 150. I've been I was all hoping over the place you got out this. of it, but no. No, sometimes <laughs> I get out of them. You know, it's nice when you get out of the ones at the high and you rebuy at the low, but you can't do it perfectly all the time. And I've just been riding FedEx out. I still, I don't think the story of FedEx is going away. I think a lot of deliveries, I think it's a COVID play. I, I, I think it's a play on people being a little buying more stuff online and that and COVID has created a new trend where people you have new online shoppers that never bought stuff online before my mother never bought anything online and she's buying everything she's going there now you're getting new people coming in that are like wow I love this online shopping you know I can go and I can place my grocery orders even or, or, or this I mean you're getting new people that never bought anything online to buy stuff online and saying, Hey, this is pretty awesome. And the stuff comes to my door. So, I mean, there's that consideration. Uh, I think going forward is that I don't think people are just going to stop shopping online. What level of candy crush is she on? <laughs> oh man. She crushes it, man. She's, so she's right at the top. Right, she's right at the top. Right. She, her and Michael Pactor are right at the top. And that like Farmville game or something. She's like, or, or the one she's like a moderator for that game. My mom's awesome <laughs> video games. I'm bringing it back here. 
All right. I, I, I tell her she should use her powers for other things, but she likes video games. Let's go to our guest here. Uh, we're joined now by Andy Marr. She is the president and CEO of Plug Power Inc., which trades on the NASDAQ under the symbol PLUG. Andy, uh, good morning. Good morning, Joel. Good morning, Dennis. Nice Hi, to be Andy. here today. Hey, how you doing, guys? We're doing we're, well. We're doing all That's right. That's good. We're doing all Hi, right. Hi, Spencer. How's, how's it going? Uh, okay. Andy, uh, I want to start off asking you real quick because uh, hydrogen fuel energy is not like a, it's not a new thing, but it's newer. So explain to us exactly just how far along the industry and, and technology is right now. Sure. You know, Joe uh, Spencer, it reminds me of, I started way long time ago in 1982 in the wireless industry. And, you know, wireless cell phones didn't take off the 94, 95. Plug Power has been around doing this for 20 years. When I came, the technology was about ready. And then we turned it into products with people like Amazon and Walmart, who I heard you just mention. Uh, we actually delivered 25% of the food, uh, retail food that Walmart delivered uh, during the COVID crisis. So it's much further along than people think. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it's projected to be a huge market by people like McKinsey long term because it does help solve many of the challenges people are facing with the climate. So let's talk about that. What exactly are the like the advantages or, or maybe even disadvantages of of this technology over like another alternative energy like like electric vehicles, for example? Sure. Well, I, I think you got to start with a premise that uh, the world's going electric. I mean, when I look at the world electric motors are lower cost and simpler than internal combustion engines. Then I think it's a question of how do you power that? And if you're looking at commercial vehicles where range is important, uh, you can get twice the range with fuel cells versus batteries. If you think about issues like power densities, so you have two to three times more power dense, energy density with fuel cells versus batteries, and the fact you can fuel in 10 minutes. So that's why people are thinking about fuel cells for fleets. And by 2030, once the world's different and you start having a sharing economy and you have an asset that can always be on the road, I think many, many personal vehicles will be fuel cell powers in the 2030s. That was my next question, because right now it's, it's really more of a being used for commercial use, right? It's being right. I mean, we have 30,000 units. You know, our primary business is in forklift trucks today. We have 30,000 units running with people. You know, people you were just mentioning, Amazon and Walmart, uh, you know, those packages being delivered to your home are being touched by plug power fuel cells and hydrogen every day. But it's also well beyond that uh, into on-road vehicles, into backup power systems for data centers. I mean, the range of opportunities for fuel cells are kind of endless. That's why McKinsey believes that eventually this is a $2.5 trillion market opportunity. Can you explain uh, your company a little bit? Because you, you guys have made a, a concerted effort over the past year or so to, to become vertically integrated. So I just was hoping you could just explain exactly because you've made a couple of transactions and kind of changed the structure. So explain to us like the state of the company right now. Sure, Spencer. Well, you know, it's been a ride. Um, and, uh, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, the company really was a system integrator. And we found out to, you know, when I looked at, look at our stories, I've read the story about SpaceX. 
about how must society had to become vertically integrated to provide the cost as well as the quality level customers required. And that drove us into building our own, building and designing our own stacks. We're the largest manufacturer of MEAs for fuel cells today in North America, which is the key critical component. Uh, you know, and you know, about seven years ago, Walmart said to me, we're not going to buy anything unless you provide a complete system. And we ended up, we've built over 85 hydrogen stations. We're the largest user of hydrogen as a fuel in the world. Um, and when we look at our business, we made the integration, we made the purchases of United Hydrogen, as well as a Giener ELX to provide us the opportunities to provide green hydrogen for our customers. Uh, here's a question from our chat here. Uh, yes. He's asking about the current cost per mile uh, for your tech compared to uh, conventional gas. Yeah. So when, um, you know, if you look at it, uh, you have to think about it a little bit differently. Uh, it's probably today versus natural gas, you know, 20% higher. But when you start looking at roadmaps where the cost of hydrogen is going, uh, today, hydrogen is about 2x higher than it will be in 2030. Because the price of hydrogen ultimately is tied to the price of renewable energy. And, you know, when you start looking at, you know, we're looking at hydro plants where you can buy hydrogen for three cents a kilowatt hour. And at those kind of levels, uh, hydrogen is competitive with, uh, any, with natural gas. And especially when you go beyond the United States. Obviously, where natural gas is quite higher. We're on the line with Andy Marsh. He's the president and CEO of Pluck Power. The ticker is PLUG uh, on on the Nasdaq. Um, Andy, how how do you explain just the dramatic rally in your stock over the past few weeks? Like like you said, Plug Plug Power has been around for a little bit here. So like, how do you explain the fact that it's just blasted off here? <laughs> Well, Spencer, if you've been doing this as long as I've been doing it, it doesn't feel like a blast off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, when you look at the world, you know, you know, I, you know, I think about we've built first a fundamentally strong business. You know, we'll do 300 million revenue this year, 20 million in EBITDAs. But, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, Amazon is probably my biggest customer. And, I, you know, I, you know, how do you know how do you value a revolution? I think you know Jeff Bezos once said, and I think when you start thinking about where hydrogen's going, where it's going to be part of everybody's everyday life, you know, there's a McKinsey study which is paid for by a lot of people in this industry, uh, but you know they're projecting it's 2.5 trillion, and it's going to touch every part of everyone's life, from you know mobility, from uh, providing heat for homes, for industrial processes. And I think people are just beginning. And, you know, it's more than just, you know, retail investors. You know, the institutional interests in the company, in the sector, have never been higher. You know, I was at a recent uh, conference like this on the phone in London, and, uh, you know, we were sold out. We had 52 institutional investors who wanted to speak with us. And instead of having one-on-ones, I ended up having three on ones for two days for 40 minutes each just over and over again because institutional interest was so high. And I think it's because they see the potential of the sector. 
what should any investor uh, either in, in the space or in your company specifically, what, what, what upcoming catalyst do they need to be aware of? Yeah, I, I think uh, first, uh, you know, I think if you go back and look over the last three, four years, Plug has done what it's said it's going to do. And that, uh, you know, this year, you know, we're going to again increase our revenue to 35, by 35%. We're on track to be $1.2 billion in 2024. And I'm looking at a couple key catalysts. One is I think we'll be putting vehicles on the road in the second half of the year, which we think will excite investors. Uh, I think our deployments and expansion to green hydrogen, which we think is the key to expanding this market since customers are actually demanding a cleaner footprint. It's really just not the government's. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, you'll see activities in large-scale backup power. So I think you'll see two or three announcements where people say, wow, that's significant for the growth of plug power long-term and it aligns with the five-year plan we've rolled out. Uh, Joel, you're on mute there. The old mute trick for, hold on. <laughs> there we go. We're on the line with Andy Marsh, president and CEO of Plug Power. Uh, Andy, uh, two-part question here for you. Um, can you break down your company's earnings? By, yeah, you've mentioned uh, you know, the car sector. You've mentioned some other sectors. Can you break down the percentage of your earnings coming from the different sectors and where you anticipate the most, most growth to come from? Sure. So um, today about 20% uh, of our revenue comes from hydrogen and about 80% uh, comes from our fuel cell and hydrogen infrastructure business. They actually go tantum, Joe. Uh, by 20, you know, if I look at this year, uh, you'll see revenues of approximately $60 million for hydrogen, $60 million for service, and $180 million for fuel cells, primarily providing fuel cells for forklift trucks. Uh, I think by 2024, what you're going to see is that, uh, you know, our revenues will be about uh, 750 million in our traditional market material handling, 250 million in uh, 200 million in backup power and, uh, and uh, backup power and on-road vehicles and the remainder on hydrogen. So hydrogen becomes a big growth opportunity for plug power. Okay, and this is, uh, I, get a, I get a lot of flack on this from, <laughs> from, from the chat, from, from Dennis and Jason and Spencer and everybody. And, you know, I, I, look at, I look at the car industry and I look at Tesla and Ford and GM and, and to me and Uber and Lyft and whatever, however you want to throw it into, I see over the next five to 10 years, a lot less cars on the road, a lot okay. less people driving. So is that, first of all, do you share that perception? And secondly, how does that affect uh, your business models? So first, you're in Detroit. I would think everybody's four cars in Detroit. I didn't right? say I'm not four cars. <laughs> That's why he takes the heat. That's why we get the heat. <laughs> we got to defend the D. <laughs> They're going to uh, kick him out of D the Detroit for saying stuff like that. <laughs> so um, I, I, I got to say, I, I agree with you, Joe. And I think that, uh, and I also think it's a function of where you live. I think if, you know, I live uh, 
up in Saratoga Springs, New York, where I need a Sa car. To Saratoga. Do you go yeah. to Saratoga? I do. I, I'm a mile. I can walk to the track. You're my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, when I when I think about it, um, I think in your living in urban areas, that uh, you know, using drive share is really, I think, the primary way people are getting around in cities like New York today, and it'll expand into other 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 areas. I. I don't think the majority of vehicles will be rideshare, but I think a great deal of vehicles will be. For the fuel cell industry, I think it has a great deal of value because when you think about rideshare vehicles, especially automatic guided vehicles, you know, take us to 2033, uh, those vehicles you're going to want on the road all the time and batteries you'll have to take off to charge. Fuel cells, you'll be able to fill them up 10 times faster, have that asset back on the road and get twice the range. So, you know, the value of fuel cells in a sharing economy uh, starts really showing its benefits. You also can have centralized fueling, which again, really cuts down the cost of deploying fuel cell vehicles. Uh, Andy, one, one more before we let you run. Yeah. But, uh, how do you get over the, the just the, the costs of installing all these stations. It's, it's not cheap. Yeah. First, uh, our stations are actually, so I think it's really, uh, Spencer, why I started in material handling and why I think commercial vehicles are the first to take off. Because the price for, you know, the price to build a fueling station versus building a battery room for a distribution center are about equal. So what the, dip, what the issue is with fuel cells often is what comes first, the vehicle or the stations? We built them both together. And that's what you can do with commercial applications and fleets. And that's really why fuel cells, I think, uh, have a strong position, including the fact you have twice the range. Uh, you can fill them fast. It, you know, it really just, how you use the assets really, you know, you really gets demonstrated uh, in those kind of applications. So you got, to quite honestly, Spencer, you got to pick the right app at the right time to make sure the fueling, the cost of fueling is competitive. So, you know, you go to Amazon distribution center, our station still is pushing as much hydrogen a day as your local gas station. I lied, here's one more from the chat. Uh, yeah. Someone has done their research here and they, yeah. they, they, they know that you, uh, you signed a deal last year with uh, Street Scooter to produce a hundred uh, delivery trucks for DHL. Uh, any, any comment on that partnership and how you're going to keep leveraging it? Sure. I, you know, uh, your uh, listener did pay attention. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, actually DHL owns Street Scooter and they decide to uh, disband that organization. So unfortunately, I won't be doing those deployments uh, in the next few years. But that being said, we're actually doing a great deal with D DHL and on other applications. I I heard mention also uh, delivery. We've been working with DHL to put fuel cells uh, at, at airports to support their fleets for both their forklift trucks and their ground support equipment. All right, Andy Marsh is the president and CEO of Plug Power, and he's also Joel's new best friend. And appreciate <laughs> you coming out with us this morning and uh, stay safe out there. Okay, pleasure to meet you all. Thank you for taking Thanks, time today. Bye now.
Thanks, Andy. All right. That, that was great. That was great. And and Joel's going to be visiting him and then heading to the track. Forever stakes. As soon as it opens, I guess. But uh, all right. So age 51, got about nine minutes before our next guest, the president and CEO of uh, Genius Brand. So let's do some stocks here. I'll try to get to some stuff from the chat that we've been missing, unless there was more on your guys' list that we didn't get to yet. I, I uh, Do you want to cover Levi? Is that relevant, you think? Yeah. Yeah, so it was really the only earning stock, <laughs> one of the only earning stocks to yeah. cover. So let's do it. Know. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Q2 adjusted EPS they lost 48 cents per share last quarter. They missed the estimate by three cents on that. Sales 498 versus 574 million dollars. So a miss and a miss. Um, I guess all their stores are closed. So can't. Fall doesn't help back. when the stores are closed for gene sales. Probably doesn't, doesn't so. help. Buy them online. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about this with Shaq yesterday, and could a lot of have been priced in? Apparently, it wasn't. So this is the kind of market that you think the stuff should be priced in, and it's not. I mean, Shaq, like me and you were saying, Spencer, we didn't think the report was that bad. Still went down on the report. So they're not giving a pass like they were to the last earnings season. They were given the pass for a lot of stocks reporting disappointing earnings because we were trying to come out of it. Everything was priced, you know, and obviously, you know, when we started last earnings season, the markets were a lot lower than they are now. They're not giving the pass anymore. So that's concerning. As if we keep going through, this earnings season is going to be a disaster coming up. There is no doubt it's going to be bad. If they don't keep pass, if they don't give the pass to some of these companies and just say, okay, well, we know that's going to be bad. What's the next quarter look like? It's going to be ugly for the stock. So I, I, I want to see them start giving some companies a pass, but they're not doing it. And Levi's not getting a pass here either. It's trained down 4% on a disappointing report. Maybe you could say it is giving a pass because it was a really bad report, but uh, it, it, it's scary that they're they're hitting stocks on disappointing earnings when we're coming right into an earnings season that we know is going to be a big disappointment. So Levi, middle of the range, you got support yeah. way down at twelve. It's, it's this is a the curveball, hard to hard to make a call. Yeah, that. super curveball. Uh, Pre market low thirteen oh five. You got a little bounce of from that area, but you can't really say it distance itself from that area. Because if you're looking at I mean, 1285 was low, 1328 was low. So if it doesn't hold 13, I could see 1220 uh, coming back on the upside here. What was the range from yesterday? The range, bottom of yesterday's range was 1365. I'm sure a lot of people would like to see, or yeah, 1365, 83 close. I look big resistance in that entire area. All right, let's go to some stocks from the chat. Here's one Joel and I discussed yesterday in the After Hours show, I believe. Uh, Neo, I don't know what you can say about it, Dennis. Do you have any thoughts? Let's keep on going. It? I mean, it's a play on electric. <laughs> it's hot. And, and hot stocks get hotter in this market. Um, it's blasted off. Goldman was all over it when they upgraded this thing at 450, and then for whatever yeah, reason, they decided they downgrade it when it was eight. They did that within a month, Dennis. They, they should have held on because they'd be looking gosh. like geniuses. So they were like, "Are you working you... in the Goldman Research Department or something?" Because they only held that for like a month. They got huh. in and they got out. I, I don't hold on long enough on my trades either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but they should have held on to that call. Or obviously, not downgrading the stock has continued to fly here. I mean, that was the catalyst that kickstarted the neo rally. You can look back to early June. That was the catalyst. The stock closed at 470 back on the second. Goldman upgraded that night, and the stock has been going up ever since. So Goldman kickstarted this rally, and it's never stopped. Obviously, electric cars have got hot. Anything to do with electric. We obviously know the workhorse story got so hot for a while, and Tesla just remains hot. Uh, but Neo, it just keeps going. I mean, 
I, how, how do you know when these rocket ship stories end? Uh, it's don't. difficult. Workhorse went on for a lot longer than I thought it would. So I think if you're in it, you bring up your stops and keep bringing up your stocks and keep hoping the party continues. But right now, there's no reason to say 1406 is the top. Right. I mean, I, I can't tell you exactly when these things are going to top, but what I can tell you, first of all, is you got to take out the pre-market high, which is not too far away, 1435. So you take that out, you know, use your half and whole numbers. That's really all you have. Um, also from a uh, day, we'll look at this on a daily volume perspective and whew, volume keeps getting bigger and bigger on up days and up days. So until you see, you know, if you see a lower volume day and it's lower on, you know, down on the day, then no big deal. Buyers just taking a break. Uh, but really until you get like that heavy volume day, maybe with like a key reversal or something. Uh, but right now, 1435, that's really the only, uh, the only thing you can call is perhaps resistance. But when these things are going, I use, if you want to exit, use half and whole numbers. Yeah, I'm with Dennis. Just you move out your stops, move out, move up your stops, and and hold on. It's hard. I mean, I've always been very good at the entries, and the exits are always tricky. Even my Tesla trade yesterday, which we could talk about briefly. Um, you know, I talked about it on the show. I you got out of that, that one good, Dennis. I thought, yeah, I did. I thought Tesla. Um, I, I I thought that the Momo and that had slowed down in some of the smaller Momo names, and I thought it might spill over into the big ones, and it did off the hop. And so Tesla went, we know where it's going up. And I talked about, you know, shorting it on the show. And I did, I got short of 1423, which was right near the high. And the reason I picked 1423 was it was just below the after hours high from the previous night. And I kind of thought that they might rip it off the hop in the first few minutes and then pull the rug out from under it. That's what they did. And the stock pulled down and I had even tweeted, I said, I think it's going to close red, but I thought it was going to go red. So when it went red, I covered I covered a chunk and then it went a little lower. I covered some more and then I held a little piece and went back up and then I got stopped out on the rest. So I ended up making 51 points on the short yesterday. I'm out of it now for people who, who wanted to know about that. But it was just a, a fact that I thought that we were turning yesterday on the Momo. But what, what spooked me was to not hold the Tesla longer was Shopify started to turn around. So Shopify got hit right off the hop. We know it got hit the day before. Not that Tesla and Shopify have anything to do with each other, but all these momentum names tend to move True. with each other to a certain extent they can be tells and you know shopify has been hot 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 too and i had an ugly day the day before which made me nervous about tesla well what happened was you know shopify followed through a little bit early you know in the first few minutes but then started to catch a bit i was like i don't like that and then that started spooking me and tesla at that point in time had already sold off 80 points so um so I, I i covered and i ended up like i said taking up 51 points out of it so it was a good day trade but, and, and maybe the tops in, I don't know. <laughs> I, I joked yesterday that I catch the top because I was five points from, from the high. But, you know, where it goes, these are tough, tough trades to just say, oh, the, the party's over. Um, it bounced back nicely. So that makes me think the party might not be over. All right, 8.58, we're going to bring on our, ne our next guest in about uh, one and a half to two minutes. Uh, before we do that, guys, do you want to give your final thoughts on overall market here today? Next. Very mixed, hard yeah. to get a feel. It's one of those days that I'm like, oh, I just don't have a feel. There's no clear catalyst. There's no clear movement. You've got some stocks trading up, some stocks trading down. Tech still leading the charge here, as always. The NASDAQ is up, you know, 
a half a percent point five percent where the overall market's just kind of hanging on some of the banks it's still kind of a little bit of a repeat from yesterday some of the stocks that were weak yesterday are showing weakness again the Amer the american airlines is down another two percent just cannot catch a bed so you know this party is completely over now uh, at a certain point like i was saying i thought they let 12 might hold now you're breaking down against and i think i was going to 10 1164 i mean you get down near eight to ten you got major support from all the people who originally called the bottom and then got rewarded with the ridiculous run that we had which ended up being the high when it went from eight dollars to 22 dollars in three days it just goes to show you when you get these huge parabolic moves they're unsustainable and eventually the party does end and they do come back in and american airlines has given back that entire rally there now which was never warranted i mean just even talking about ual um, they were on, and they had somebody on uh, on CNBC yesterday talking about the company. And in their optimistic scenario, they're trying they're trying to get down their cash burn down to thirty million dollars a day by the third quarter. So they're like they're optimistic. They're basically the company, or, or somebody was saying from the company that they're optimistic that they can get the cash burn down to 30 million a day by the third quarter. You want to invest in companies that they're in their optimistic scenario, they're hoping to only be burning $30 million a day in the third quarter. I mean, what's the bearish scenario? You know what the bearish <laughs> scenario is on UAL? Zero. That's what the bearish <laughs> scenario is. So the bullish scenario, I'm not sure the bullish scenario is much higher as a problem. So you can buy these airlines and say, oh, eventually everybody's flying again. And we're going to come back. But just remember, we've had a lot of bankruptcies in the airlines over the years. And it's not to say that that cannot happen again here. This is the kind of environment that if the government doesn't help them out. And we know we have a very favorable government. That's the one thing going from the administration doesn't want failures. It doesn't want bankruptcies because, quite frankly, Trump wants to get reelected. And it doesn't look good if you've got major companies failing. So they're going to be throwing money at these companies. If we get a vaccine coming out, you know, and it looks positive, that's going to be the headlines that's going to turn the airlines around. But until, you know, we get, you know, more clarity on where that's going, bankruptcy is a possibility for some of these companies. It is possible. Don't kid yourself. So it's happened before. It can happen again. So just be careful. I would say if I'm putting money in airlines, I'd only be putting speculative cash in there. I wouldn't be mortgaging my house to bet on airlines here. If the vaccine comes out tomorrow, these airlines will all be buys. But that's the out. That is really what's going to cause you know, everybody to start flying again is that they don't have to worry about getting sick. But right now, they got serious issues. I mean, capacity's down 85%. It, it, but it's, it's up serious. from last month. It's up from last month. Yeah, yeah. They say, oh, yeah, we were, we were up 100% from last month. We went from down 90 to down 80, only 85. I mean, it's, it, it's how you spin the numbers, right? But they haven't been spinning the numbers, really, the companies themselves. It's the media tried to spin the numbers to try to justify the ridiculous move that we had in June, which was a gift. It was a gift for American Airlines to go from $8 to $22 and get back over half of the losses, you know, not even get back two thirds of the losses from the COVID crisis. This company is still in crisis mode. So where it goes from here, we, 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 don't, we don't know because we don't know where COVID is going. But if COVID is around for a while, and the vaccine doesn't come out anytime soon. People are still going to be scared to fly. And these companies are burning a lot of cash. And that's why I don't want investment. Um, Not at this time. Speaking of the bankruptcy thing, I don't know if you guys saw Brooks Brothers. So that's now 27 retailers have declared bankruptcy. And uh, uh, as a result of- They're all pretty- We haven't had any major like, whoa, this uh, company. There hasn't been any, you know, like, so- And that's the good thing. 
and obviously, you know, we, we've got the government that's probably going to defend that from happening, but there's a lot of companies burning a lot of cash right now. Yeah. Scary. All right. Uh, I'm bringing our guest on now. I'm trying to get the Zoom to work, but uh, we are joined. Uh, I think he's here. Andy Hayward. He is the, let me unmute him here real fast. I think this will work. Yeah, he's the chairman and CEO of Genius Brands uh, Trades on the NASDAQ under the simple G-N-U-S. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Hey, we got you. All right. Uh, we were wondering what kind of background, if you would have like a cool cartoon background or not. But uh, for those of you who don't know, and we kind of teased it uh, earlier in the show, but uh, Andy's fingerprints are all over every cartoon you've seen in the, if, in the last 30 years or so. From G.I. Joe to Inspector Gadget to that thing, the Flintstones, uh, Scooby-Doo. Uh, so, uh, Andy, uh, I think one thing that we were surprised to see was that uh, you've worked with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates uh, and at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Just do their, uh, their little cartoon, right? That's correct. For, for 25 years. That and, and then a show with Warren called The Secret Millionaires Club. So, uh well, I think we we're, I didn't know about that and I'm not the target audience, but uh, that was pretty cool to see. So uh, talk to us a little bit, uh, Andy, about the, the cartoon channel you launched uh, last month. Uh, it is free to use. Talk to us about, about that because it, it's free. You're on all the, uh, you're on all the platforms. You're on the Roku's and the Amazon's of the world and the Apple. Talk to us about, about cartoon uh, channel and, and why you decided to make it and well, Cartoon Channel, as you know, I'm sure, is in 100 million U.S. TV households. It's uh, available on 200 million mobile devices. Uh, the reason we decided to go free is because it's kind of a, a product designed for the times we are in right now. Um, because of COVID, there's a lot of kids home from school. Schools are closed. Camps are not uh, occurring this summer. And I think uh, most kids today uh, are not doing linear viewing. They've grown up in a world where everything is on demand. They can choose what they want, when they want it at any time. And our channel is an on-demand channel at a time when you've got Disney Plus, you've got HBO Max, you've got uh, Netflix, of course, are all subscriber services. We decided to go what's called AVOD, Advertiser Video On Demand, and it's a free service. It's supported by advertising, but we have a kind of unique ethos in it. It's a very uh, amount of, the advertising is limited. It's not going to be over-commercialized. We have some very specific uh, requirements on all the content that we put on the channel. It's positive uh, content. It's uplifting. There's no negative stereotypes. There's no inappropriate language or behavior. The, uh, the bad guys always get their comeuppance in whatever stories we're telling. And we try to have as much enriched content as possible. By that, we mean things that kids can take something away from. You mentioned Warren Buffett. We produced the secret. Oh, Andy, I think I just lost your audio there. Not sure what's going on. Uh, Joel, do you hear Andy or is it just me? Uh, I do not hear Andy. All right, Andy, we lost your audio. Uh, check your, your mic settings there. Here, let's see if I can get him back. I, I could just... Uh... 
Um, if or, you want to go offline, if not, I could uh, I could just uh, take uh, some tickers. Let's go here. Let's yeah. uh, let's give me some tickers, and I'll see if we can pull up any news or what they're doing. Something preliminary. I just uh, real quick uh, looking at the S and P five hundred futures. Like Dennis said, it's kind of hard to get a fill here. Uh, mixed day, pre market highs thirty one fifty two. Have a swing number there, but the way that the, you know, watching the market overnight and during uh, the early morning session, I'm just not inclined to, uh, to you know buy a breakout of that pre-market high. I think I'd be more tempted to fade that area with a tight stop. Uh, pre-market low seems kind of safe for now. We've traded through the close several times. Uh, pre-market low is right or at 25 and a half. So just a range kind of day, which aren't always my best kind of days. So I'm looking for more momentum and I don't see a lot of upside after 3152. And if I think, we have Andy back, Andy, you back? I am back. Forgive my uh, picture here because I'm on my computer and the lighting worry about background it. is not yeah, as good. That's all right. The audio is more important. So uh, Andy, uh, I, I, I just want to ask you because you're on – I think most, if not all of the major platforms. And we, we look at, uh, you know, we, we look at Roku and Netflix and all these, all, all these hosting platforms. Uh, you're on all of them pretty much. So like, where do you see the bulk of your, your, your viewership or, or different trends on different platforms? Uh, it's pretty much everywhere. As you said, we're on Roku and we're on, uh, we're on Comcast, we're on Dish, we're on Cox Cable, we're on, uh, Apple uh, TV, we're on Amazon Prime, we're on Amazon Fire. It's all over the place and we don't have specific numbers at this point. Uh, important to us is the iOS app and that has been in a huge rush for us to get developed. The first app that we saw on that uh, was not satisfactory to us and we very uh, quickly switched to another developer and we're gonna have a new app uh, ready, uh, we expect within the next one to two weeks. All right. so. Andy, let's talk about the the stock here. Obviously, this is you know CEOs don't don't exactly have control over their their, their stock performance. Uh, but how do you explain the crazy volatility over the over just the past a few weeks? Um, there's a lot of stock in the marketplace, and a lot of people uh, had a basis at 21 cents. So there was a, a lot of profit taking. Profit. That can you, can you hear me still? Yep, we got sure. you. Okay, I'm sorry. A lot of people had a basis of 21 cents and there was some profit taking. There was, of course, a lot of, uh, of, of shorting going on. And, you know, as a CEO, I can't uh, explain why stocks go up and down. I have some ideas, but it's really not what I do. Uh, I make cartoons. And my business is to create the value in the cartoons, create the value in the channel, create the value from the licensing, and over time, the value will define the stock price. You know, oftentimes I have spoken in the past with Warren Buffett about stocks and uh, he's uh, given me, I think, uh, sound advice, which is uh, you keep your eye on the business and the stock will take care of itself and not to, to so, be mindful of that. Yeah, so, so that brings up an, an interesting point. So where, where exactly is the value? Because we've, you know, we've, we've all heard the saying content is king, right? So you guys obviously have have the content. So that's where all the value premium is? Well, content is king, uh, yes. Uh, distribution is very important as well. And having this distribution platform is essential. 
you know, over the years, I think you mentioned the number of shows I've produced. I've done about 5,000 half hours of children's programming, uh, starting with, you know, I was a writer in the early part of my career. I used to write for Hanna-Barbera and I did Scooby-Doo and the Smurfs and the Flintstones and the Jetsons and all of those shows from Hanna-Barbera. And on my own, beginning with Inspector Gadget on through, it was always produce the show, place the show on a broadcaster, and then it was out of your hands and you couldn't control what happened. Uh, the broadcasters would sometimes move the show from one time period to another time period. They would rest them for a period of time. They would bring them back in different orders for whatever reasons they did. And another reason that was very important to us to start the cartoon channel was so that we could control our destiny completely across the food chain. When you put a cartoon on the air, you also have all of the merchandising that uh, comes from the cartoon. And you need to know that that is being followed uh, uh, by the TV show. Uh, in many regards, the TV shows are like, uh, uh, sounds awfully mercenary, but uh, they're almost like commercials. The kids uh, see the shows and they engage in the play patterns. And, uh, you know, even for a show like Llama Llama, if they haven't read the books, the parents then want to get them the books uh, and things of that sort. So we need to have the continuity of the product as well as the broadcasting. Joel, you're on mute there. One, that's twice in one day for Joel with the old mute. Oh, I got a lot going on here. No, on no, here. I'm right. sorry. To unmute you. Andy Hayward, Chairman and CEO of Genius Brands. Uh, a couple questions here for you. Um, you mentioned uh, that a lot of the cartoons that you did were 30 minutes. And uh, boy, oh boy, with the attention span of, uh, of kids and adults, uh, for that matter, um, you got to be changing that format, right? Are you still sticking with the 30 minute or are you reducing that? I mean, in this, uh, you know, this ADD world, people really can't focus on things for that long. Are you sticking with that 30 minute format or are you going to shorten things up? That's a good question. Uh, 30 minutes is the standard format for a program. However, we oftentimes now will do two or three or sometimes more shows inside the 30 minutes uh, on a program that is 30 minutes. Uh, the commercial time is uh, on the weekends. It's five and a half minutes on Monday through Fridays. It's six minutes. So that leaves you with 24. You take out the main title and the closing titles, and then you've got, you're down to 22. So we often do now two 11 minute commercials. Our series that's on Nickelodeon rainbow Rangers is uh, there are 11 minute episodes. Uh, things that are much more squash and stretch are six minute episodes. Okay, and just uh, moving on here, this is probably a pretty broad question for you, though, but uh, with everything that we have going on in, in our country, in our world today, uh, with racial issues, uh, do you think that a lot of the cartoons that you created and that you worked on in the past are eventually going to be eliminated from, from you know, libraries and, and from history uh, because of the racial uh, innuendos in some of these cartoons? Um, that's a good question. And I would say for myself, the shows that I've created and produced, that would not be the case. Those are issues that I've always been thoughtful and uh, tried to been thoughtful and sensitive to. For example, the only program ever produced animated program on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, I did. I did that with the King family. Uh, Dexter King, his son, played the voice of uh, his father, Martin Luther King. Uh, Oprah Winfrey played the voice of Mrs. King. And uh, 
I've always had, you know, cartoons that I think were very sensitive to the times and thoughtful and had uh, uh, positive role models uh, always, uh, whether they were superheroes. We had, I think, one of the first black superheroes. Uh, and uh, the shows that we're doing right now, uh, I can't announce it today because it's going to be publicly announced, but we have a major African-American star in one of our upcoming cartoons. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal has been in uh, different, I, I could go on. But, okay. But I don't think that'll be the case for, for, for our shows. Uh, uh, Andy, just we'd be remiss not to just talk numbers for a second here, but when do you see profitability or how far down the line do you see profitability? I see it by the end of the year. Uh, we have, you know, a number of uh, important engines going on right now. It takes about four to five years to build a cartoon and to get it into the market. From the time you've got an idea and you develop it and you produce it and you get it on television and then you get the consumer products licensed and then they are marketed and brought on shelf, it's that long. So we have our first shows right now that we started, I'd say four years ago that uh, are coming to market. Uh, most prominently is Rainbow Rangers where we have uh, about 375 different consumer products. Uh, Toys from Mattel will be hitting shelf uh, in August of this year at, uh, at Walmart, uh, actually at walmart.com the last week of this month in July. But we've got everything that you could possibly imagine from toys, video games, electronics, music, publishing, backpacks, sleepwear, apparel of all kinds, bicycles, vitamins, that's one of the beautiful things about uh, the children's entertainment business is that uh, we have a dual income stream. It's not just the content, it's the consumer products that come from the content as well. Uh, I mentioned I worked on the Flintstones a long time ago. You can go to any supermarket today and you can find Pebbles and Bam Bam cereal and you can go to any drugstore and find Flintstones vitamins. Uh, they're still there. I, we all took those growing up, I think. I, I mean, I took those growing up uh, or... Well, you know, that's one of the, I think, really attractive uh, characteristics of the cartoon uh, uh, business as an asset class. It's very timeless and it's very international. It's very evergreen. Uh, Tom and Jerry, which I worked on when I was at Hanna-Barbera, was first made by Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera in 1939. Those same cartoons that were produced in 1939 are still on the air today. Kids discover them fresh. And they're still very, very successful performers. So if you have something that works, uh, chances are it's going to live a long, long time and be a real pumping oil well for you, not just from the content side, but also from the consumer product side. Hey, before we let you go, can I, can I make one suggestion for a cartoon? Oh, no. Please do. Oh, <laughs> okay. So you worked on uh, Yogi Bear, right? I did at Hanna-Barbera. I was a writer there. It wasn't at my own company, but yes. Okay, well, you got to do Yogi Bull. We're in a bull market. Instead <laughs> of a funny. Yogi Bear, you got to do Yogi, Yogi Bull, okay? That's funny. I'll, uh, I'm going to tell that over to tell that to the people at Warner Brothers who subsequently bought uh, Hanna-Barbera from Turner. And, Can uh, I get uh, some royalty rights on this? Can you give me a call after the show's over? I just I'll, don't I'll, I'll let them know for sure. Okay, thanks for coming on. Dear Lord, all right. Uh, I think that's a good note to, to, to wrap up on here. So uh, as I mentioned at the top, we've been on with Andy Hayward. He is the chairman and CEO of Genius Brands. 
uh, ticker GNUS on the NASDAQ. Andy, thanks so much. I know it's early for you out in California, so we appreciate you coming on and uh, stay safe out there. My privilege. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, let's, let's wrap it up here, Joel. Uh, 920, so about 10 minutes. Don't be mad at me, Spencer, I'm for answering that question. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I, I promise I'm not mad. It's just funny. That was, fun. that was a good joke. That was a good joke. You saved it for the end. I mean, at least I didn't go, let's go steal some picnic baskets. Okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. All right. Thanks to both our guests, Andy Haywood and Andy Marsh. You can always, Marsh, you can always catch a replay of this show uh, on our podcast or on our YouTube channel. Thanks to everyone in our chat. Please hit that like button. It helps us with that YouTube algorithm. And please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or training advice. Everyone have a great rest of your Wednesday. Joel and I will be back at 3.40. In the meantime, stay safe out there and good luck. <laughs>